Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. We're about to find out what happens to Carmen when she has a full hour of uh, people that she frankly admires so much she can't believe she has the privilege of talking to. Uh, In this hour, I have Jim Dennison and Oz Guinness. And so if you want to know who are the people who Carmen listens to, who does she read, what is she tuning into, uh, whose articles does she have penned in terms of where she goes first to read what they're writing and to see what they're thinking. Jim Dennison and Oz Guinness top that list. And so I'm really excited about the hour, which is now ahead of us. Let me lead off with this. Just a reminder that who and what we honor or who and what we celebrate actually does matter. So a couple of headlines this morning. The Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded this morning to two female scientists. That's actually the first time for any Nobel award. Um, But it's important to note uh, what these women were celebrated or are being celebrated for. And it is the development of the genome editing method known as CRISPR. And so we now have uh, Nobel laureates in chemistry who have developed a technology that has exploded over the last decade. Plant researchers use CRISPR to alter the genetic code of crops. Uh, now that means that they can make crops drought resistant or pest tolerant, but they're they're known as uh, g- genetically modified organisms, GMOs, and people are concerned about what that uh, means, not only for human consumption but for animal consumption as well. CRISPR is also being used uh, now. the The Nobel Committee, by the way, this is what they were celebrating: the potential for altering the course of many medical conditions, especially genetic diseases. But we have to take a hard pause there as as Christians. CRISPR is used to genetically engineer designer babies. Uh, The reinvention of what it means to be a parent, the technology that allows for two men or two women or groups of people to contribute uh, portions of DNA strands uh, to be blended together in a mix of genes used to, quote unquote, create a child. It is a worldview conversation. It is one in which you and I must be engaged. It matters what we honor uh, and what we celebrate. And so the Nobel Committee awarding this prize in chemistry is significant. Um, And so let me just encourage you to sort of watch who is awarded and what they are being honored for and what that says about uh, not only the worldview of those who are choosing those honorees, but what does it say about us as, uh, as a generation that this is what we view as sort of paramount, uh, worthy of being honored. Jim Dennison uh, joins me next. He's the founder of the Dennison Forum. You can find uh, what we're talking about today at the Dennison Forum, denisonforum.org. We'll be right back. Join 
Joining me now, Jim Dennison. He is the founder of the Dennison Forum. Let me encourage you to check out what he is doing at DennisonForum.org. Jim, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, Carmen. So glad to be on with you today. Thanks for the privilege. Yeah, I'm going to try not to trip over myself because it's really fun for me to talk with you. Um, hey, let's uh, let's lead off with today's daily article. Would that be okay? Because we actually have sure. listeners, live listeners in North Dakota. You lead off with a story today um, uh, in your daily article about a farm near Crosby, North Dakota. This is really a piece about um, how we need to be the change that we want to see. Um, talk, talk with us about what's going on there. Yeah, it's a great story. And thank you, Carmen, for your kindness as well. I've been a fan for years and really grateful for what you're doing and the chance to have the conversation with you. So yeah, it's an amazing story. It's near Crosby, North Dakota. There's a farmer. He's out working. His combine catches fire. He's fighting the flames, goes into cardiac arrest, and is hospitalized. If his farmstead goes unharvested, as people in North Dakota would especially understand, the loss would be devastating. So 60 local farmers get together. As I understand the story, there's 11 combines, 11 semi-trucks with trailers, several grain carts with tractors. And in seven hours, they harvested more than 1,000 acres while their wives made a month's worth of meals, filling a freezer for the farmer's family. And a friend explained why they did this. The outpouring of support for Lane and his family is not surprising for those of us who live here. We have a long history of helping people in our community when they're faced with tragedy or hardship. And this is a sentence I love. We strongly believe in faith, family, and the golden rule. It's a terrific example of how people getting together can manifest the kind of community that we especially need in these difficult days. So I'm one of the people who uh, loves your daily article and really uh, appreciates um, appreciates that and just want to commend that to folks. Right now, the headline banner at Denison Forum is, what does the Bible say about politics? You want to read us in on that? Yeah, what we're trying to do there, thank you, try to do these occasional white papers where we do a deep dive on what happens to be uh, happening in the culture specifically right now. So we've written papers on uh, racism. I've actually written on CRISPR in the pack. So glad that you mentioned that in the Nobel decision there. I'm resident scholar for ethics with Baylor Scott and White Health and really interested and very concerned about what's happening with CRISPR technology and all that's in that. So we've gotten in that space in the past. Well, obviously, we're in the electoral season, and uh, so many Christians want to pull out of that. They want to have have nothing to do with politics. They really kind of want to turn off the whole season itself, which I'm suggesting is not the biblical approach here. So in the white paper, we're asking, what does the Bible actually say about politics? And we discover three facts. Number one, God calls and uses political leaders. Some of them partner with him. And you think of people like Joseph and Mordecai, Daniel and his friends. Some of them oppose him. And you're thinking about some of the Romans or Pharaoh and the way that God uses people even when they're opposed to his word and his will because redeems all that he allows. Sometimes God uses leaders who don't know they're being used. And you think about the Persian king under whom Mordecai served, for instance. And we've got other examples there. So that's one fact. God uses political leaders. A second, God calls us to participate in politics. And I've got practical ways we can do that. But then third, we have to serve our highest authority. So we render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but ultimately— we serve a God who is king and is not up for election. I um, I know that there are, my listeners right now are thinking to themselves, oh, gosh, I know why Carmen really likes him. Um, first of all, <laughs> you speak at a pace, and I appreciate that. Uh, you, you, your thoughts are well-formed, and you deliver them uh, deliberately, and I really uh, I, I appreciate that very much. One of the things that um, I'm really turned on to right now that you have written 
um, is this respectfully, I disagree. And this is a conversation about what it means to actually be civil today. Can you unpack for us? And by the way, if you guys want to get this, you can you can go to denisonforum.org. It's a, available right now. Um, respectfully, I disagree. Talk about civility and the need for a restoration of civility today. Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, according to the surveys that I looked at, the research getting ready for the book, only 7% of Americans say that civility is not a problem in our culture. More Democrats and Republicans call the other side evil and racist than at any time in our history. In fact, I think this is really kind of frightening. More Democrats and Republicans are unwilling for their children to date somebody from the other party than ever before. We have this huge divide. It's not just Democrat-Republican. It's a cancel culture. It's the idea that if the other side disagrees, they're not only wrong, they're evil, that they're dangerous. There's this idea that we need to stand against those who don't stand with us on this level of oppositional anger and animosity. And a lot of that's amplified by social media and the ability to say about people what I would never say to them. And so the book really tries to look at this. First, the scope of it. The third part is some practical things we can do about it. And the middle section is the part that I wasn't seeing addressed and really wanted to focus on. And that is how to be the person of civility that God's calling us to be. At that point, I'm going to have to make the admission. I'm just as uncivil as anybody else. I'm just as <laughs> tempted to say what I should say as anybody else. So in that middle section, we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, being controlled and empowered every single day by the Holy Spirit so we can manifest the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, and peace that our culture so desperately needs to see us be. So if Christians during this electoral season will be people of civility filled by the Holy Spirit, then when the election is over, our witness will be intact. And on that platform, we can advance the kingdom together. Jim, I remember a conversation I had once with uh, with somebody who said, you know, how how is it that you're able to, you know, say things and, you know, you're not you're not actually uh, hurting people when you're saying them. You are actually, you know, you've cultivated the ability to talk about ideas and not tear down people in the midst of it. And I said, well, I I, I bit my tongue a lot. Like, right, learning to control your tongue uh, for some of us along the way uh, included having to bite it a lot. Um, and I appreciate um, that you are training us in a new generation uh, in how to cultivate the ability to speak to the concerns of the day in ways that that honor Jesus, first and foremost. My conversation partner is Jim Dennison. You can find what we're talking about today at denisonforum.org. And Jim and I will be right back. We make a miracle Continuing my conversation with Jim Dennison. He is founder of the Dennison Forum. Um, there's another Dennison, uh, Jim, who writes at the Dennison Forum. Um, who Who is Ryan? I see a lot that Ryan is writing these days. Yeah, well, thank you for asking. First and foremost, Ryan is the father of my two grandchildren. <laughs> That's what matters most. Two of the four, actually. Craig has two as well. But especially the father of my granddaughter. She's the first girl we've had in six generations. I am putty wow. in her hands. Whatever she wants, whenever she wants it. But on a secondary basis, Riot is our oldest son. Thank you for asking. Finishing a PhD in church history right now. Does a lot of research with me and writes the article when I'm traveling or unable to do so. And an incredible privilege to get to work with him on a daily basis. You know, Jim, one of the challenges that many adult Christians face today is the question of whether or not um, they've actually passed the faith down to a next generation and a generation beyond that. I have lots of conversations with um, older adults who are 
just heartbroken that um, of all of the things that they have created a legacy in, they have not created a legacy in the things of the faith. And so one of the reasons I want to lift up and highlight Ryan's contribution is that that is something that has happened and is happening in your family generation to generation. And um, and I just want to, you know, I want to celebrate that. And I want to, I just want to publicly acknowledge that um, that's no small task. And it's a part of your personal testimony, just in terms of the way you were raised. So would you be willing, we sometimes call Wednesday Witness Wednesday. Would you be willing to share a little of your personal testimony? Of course. And thank you for that. That's extremely kind. He has a wonderful mother. And that's really so much of what we should talk about here. So yeah, I grew up in Houston, Texas in a wonderful home, but no spiritual life at all. My father had been a Sunday school teacher. His friends thought he'd actually go into vocational ministry. He volunteered when World War II began. He was made a radio operator on an island in the South Pacific, along with 300 men. Only 17 survived. His experience was so horrific that dad never went to church again. And so I grew up in a loving home and no spiritual life and all my dad's questions. And it was friends who invited me to church as a teenager who were used by God to expose me to the gospel. It was out of that I eventually came to faith in Christ, but still had all these doubts, these questions, these struggles. I was the kid in 10th grade Sunday school asking, how do we know the Bible's true? And why is Jesus the only way? And what about all these other religions and all of this? And somebody gave me C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Next to the Bible, it's the book that has most influenced my life, which just makes me like so many other people over the years. I've been obviously a huge fan over the years. I've gotten actually to teach his life. I've gotten to take people to his cottage, to the actual place where he wrote a lot of that outside of Oxford and uh, at the kilns and such. Actually, just this incredible influence in my life. So from then till now, my passion has been helping people like my dad, people that have intellectual issues, people that have, have faith challenges, trying to help people see the relevance and and the reality of the faith in their lives. And that's what I've done as a pastor, as a seminary professor, my doctorates in philosophy of religion. And my passion is to help people to think biblically about the issues of the day. And that's what Denison Forum's all about. So you've been engaged in Denison Forums, you know, for a little over a decade now uh, in terms of what you're doing full time, answering cultural questions uh, with with biblical truth. Um, I really, you know, I, I want to talk about that for just a moment because you're particularly adept at reading the signs of the times, uh, applying gospel hope to, you know, everyday events. Um, and so maybe maybe what we could focus on for a moment is how do we as Christians keep ourselves from becoming completely overwhelmed with the bad news in the headlines? Um and and keep ourselves focused on the reality of the good news and it, the genuine pervasive nature of it. Isn't that the practical question? And that's really the bottom line question. Taylor Deschardins said that the future belongs to the people who give it the greatest hope. So Christians have to be people of hope at the end of the day. We know how the story ends. We know how it turns out. I had a college professor who said he could summarize the book of Revelation in two words, we win. So let's mm. just keep that in mind, first of all. Let's, And then second, let's ask the Holy Spirit to give us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, all that the Holy Spirit wants to manifest in us and through us. And so in the light of that, when we read the bad news, when we see the really tough stuff that's out there, we're asking the Holy Spirit, show me what redemptive word I can say about that. Show me how I can reframe these challenges as opportunities, how I can reframe this this terrible news as good news. And, and you could take even the coronavirus and look at the horrific 
horrific stuff that's happening as a result of this global pandemic, but people are turning to Christ through this. I know of a church in California that had 8,000 in their online service before the pandemic, 1.2 million on Easter Sunday. We can look at all the difficulties involved with social media, but we can use social media to share the gospel with people that would never attend a church. So let's reframe the challenges as opportunities as the Holy Spirit leads us to manifest the hope of Christ. If that's our prayer, God will use us in that very practical and I think very powerful way. So if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, well, I'd like to know how to do that. I'd like to uh, be able to offer a biblical response to the coronavirus epidemic. Um, Jim Dennison actually has a white paper entitled just that, A Biblical Response to the Coronavirus Epidemic. You can find it at denisonforum.org. Jim, such practical help for the real questions that people are asking in the real world. Um, You help us apply the gospel to life in ways that they don't just help us. I think that they help us advance the gospel in our generation. And so, um, you know, thank you. It's a pastoral ministry. And so let me be quick to say in this uh, month of October, Pastor Appreciation Month, thank you for all of the ways in which you have shepherded not only my heart, but the hearts of others. You have helped to train up our minds so that when we read a headline, we pause and we ask the eternal implications. We ask the worldview questions. We ask what the motivation of the author is. Like, you actually help us do that. So, um, and I, you know, I, I know that it's one thing for me to, you know, be reading what you're writing in the privacy of my own studies. It's another thing for me to be able to tell everybody listening right now, hey, this is somebody that I'm listening to. This is somebody that shepherds my heart and mind. Um, and just to be able to say thank you to you publicly. So it is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I'm just going to say thank you to you as one of the people who I definitely appreciate in that role. Uh, Carmen, thank you beyond words. That's such a gift of encouragement. And I just could, could not be more grateful to you for the privilege of that, for what you're doing, and the spirit in which you're doing, for the mind and the heart that are combined so well, so uniquely well in you and what it is that you're doing. And so, man, what a privilege just to be part of this conversation with you and to endorse what you were doing to the people that are hearing us right now. Well, thank you so much. Um, and thank you for sharing your personal testimony with us as well. We, we like to call this Witness Wednesday. And so uh, thanks for responding to that invitation as well. That's Jim Dennison. You can find him at denisonforum.org. I, uh, I read what he writes every day in his daily article. I like to get the daily email, all kinds of great stuff there and, um, and free. It is a ministry. There you go, the Denison Forum. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Carmen. God bless. You too. We'll be right back. All right, Oz Guinness, you know him well. He's an apologist. He's an author. A generation ago, he wrote a book called The Dust of Death. Uh, We have a renewed signature version of it rolling out. The 60s counterculture and how it changed America forever. Oz Guinness is with me next. This is Max Locato. The man near the pool of Bethesda didn't use the word stuck, but he sure could have. For 38 years near the edge of a pool, it was just him, his mat, and his paralyzed body. And since no one would help him, help never came. Crowds of people, despondent, dejected, one after the other, awaited their chance to be placed in the pool where healing waters bubbled up. Can you envision them? And more important, 
can you envision Jesus walking among them? All the gospel's stories of help and healing invite us to embrace this wonderful promise. Wherever Jesus went, he healed people of every sort of illness. And what pity he felt for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. My friend, remember, Jesus sees you and you are never alone. This is Max Lucado. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who Joining me now, Oz Guinness, author, social critic, great, great, great grandson of the Dublin Brewer. That's actually how you know the name Guinness in other environments. Uh, Oz was born in China during World War II, where his parents were medical missionaries, a witness to the climax of the Chinese Revolution in 1949. He was expelled with many other foreigners. In 1951, he returned to Europe, where he was educated in England. Uh, In 1968, he visited uh, the other side of the pond, known as the United States of America. I think that um, he has a great affection for us, and he writes to us in ways that are very, very significant. Today, we're going to talk about The Dust of Death, first published in 1973, but we're going to take a a renewed look at it here in 2020. This is the 60s, countercultural, and how it changed America forever. Oz Guinness, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Real pleasure to be with you again, Carmen. Oh, it's just a delight. Let me just go ahead and tell people, yes, 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 uh, InterVarsity has provided us with copies of the book. So if you want a signature edition of... The Dust of Death, uh, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Oz, take us back to 1968 and then take us to the decade known as the 1960s. Why does it matter that I understand this particular decade in order to understand what's happening in the world today? Well, I was surprised and delighted when InterVarsity said they wanted to reissue it because for many people, sort of yesterday is ancient history. But the 60s, you need to understand it to understand exactly what's going on this year. Because, you know, while this year with the pandemic is a rerun of 1918, in many ways, following all the political unrest, it's a rerun of 1968. And you need to understand the 60s to see what's happening today. Because one of the key things was in 68, and I was staggered when I came here, Martin Luther King had been assassinated. Senator Kennedy, a hundred American cities were on fire, far more than we see today. And yet, the radicals realized that they wouldn't win in the streets. And so they called that year for a long march through the institutions. In other words, do an end run. Go to the schools, colleges, universities, the press and the media, and the world of Hollywood and entertainment. And do an end run, a long march through the institutions, and then you could sweep down and win America. And that's what they called for in 68. And if you look 50 years later, the cancel culture and all sorts of things, you can see how remarkably they have made inroads. And the American Revolution is at stake. And what's taking it over increasingly in many parts of the country are ideas that have come from the French Revolution, not the American Revolution. You can't understand what's happening right now unless you understand the 60s. 
Underneath the efforts of a generation lay dust. That is uh, a quote from the book. Um, One of the concerns that you seem most troubled by, and uh, I am troubled by as well, is that Christians, not only uh, were they uninformed then, but they continue to be uninformed now, um, ill-equipped to address the cultural shifts that are taking place or the trends in society. I think I'm wondering, Oz, I mean, you've been at this now, uh, addressing this particular concern for 50 years. Are you surprised how few people are paying attention, um, or does it not necessarily surprise you? No, sadly, it doesn't surprise me. When I came first in the 60s, six weeks crossing the U.S. from East Coast to West, fascinating times. I met Mario Savio, who led the free speech movement, the only evangelical leader I met who really understood what was going on was Carl Henry. Most hmm. people were simply out of it. They were shocked by what they saw and they disagreed with it, but they had no real understanding. In fact, many evangelicals woke up in the 70s and then often got it wrong by rocketing off towards the right in many ways. But it's been a consistent problem. Evangelicals have often not understood. So I, I you know, I've talked on the phone with pastors this year who've almost drunk the Kool-Aid because they don't realize that the ideas that they're into are really coming from the progressive left, not from the gospel. So you take something like the horrendous killing of George Floyd. Almost everybody agrees that such things are outrageously wrong, evil. But the question comes, how do you address them? And the left does it one way, the gospel and the prophets in the Old Testament do it another way. And many Christians haven't really seen those differences clearly. I'm talking with Oz Guinness. We're talking about a book he initially wrote um, a generation ago. 1973 is the first publication date for The Dust of Death. Uh, It's now back in print as a part of the IVP Signature Collection. Um, And yes, uh, we've got copies to give away. So if you are interested in this, let me just say, if you want to understand the times in which we are now living and the issues that we are now facing, um, you have to understand the 1960s. And that's really what this book is about, the 60s counterculture and how it changed America forever. That is the subhead to the dust of death. Um, If you're interested in a copy, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Oz, it's really stunning to me that in 1968, um, you you missed Muncie, Indiana, where you could have met me. <laughs> I, it's the year I was born. I mean, just I'm just <laughs> saying I can't. It's hard for me to imagine that this did not make it onto the tour of the time. I didn't get to Indiana, I'm afraid. Well, well there you go. See, this might be this might be the missing the missing page. Hey, can I ask you? Um, this is a, a a bit of a random question. One of the things that I find particularly fascinating about your books are all the really great quotes of other people um, who have said and written other things. How do you keep track of your of the quotes of other people? What what is your method? Well, I'm a great believer in allowing people to speak in their own words and not give them a Christian critique. That's why I look for those sort of quotes. But I I don't have a massive quote book or anything like that. It's just when I'm working on a particular topic, you know, everything that's germane to it in my reading now can be fed in. 
And mm. so all you've got in that book is stuff I must have been reading, you know, around that time. I was absolutely fascinated. I, as I said, I started in Greenwich, Connecticut, and next went to Detroit, and I went to Berkeley, and I met Mario Savio. I went to Fillmore West and Grace Slick and the Jefferson Airplane. I, people all over the place. And it was a real eye-opener to me as a European as to the significance of this country. And I've tried to follow it ever since because I'm a great believer in the roots of America. Um, and I think, you know, the book of Exodus and Sinai and all that that contributed is the once and future key to America. In other words, you can't understand American freedom without understanding the Exodus. But I also think it's the way forward as well as the key to the past. All right. So when we come back, um, maybe we talk about where you think we are now. Are we in Egypt? Are we in the wilderness? Are we in Babylon? Maybe we have a little bit of a conversation where you kind of give us a sense of where you think we are now. I'm talking with Oz Guinness. We are talking around and about the book, The Dust of Death, being reissued now by InterVarsity Press. Uh, We will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Oz Guinness, he is a cultural critic, he's an apologist, he's an author. We're talking today about The Dust of Death. It's actually a book that um, Oz initially wrote a full generation ago, and um, it's being reissued here in 2020. There's a, there is a, a delightful, delightful new preface uh, to this edition where Oz uh, takes the time to reflect for us how he might have approached the content a little differently if he were writing it today, um, as well as just the, just this great conversation about hindsight um, and this long march, this long march through uh, the institutions and um, how the ideas today that you and I see played out in the streets of America and across her institutions is actually groundwork that was laid brick by brick in 1968. Oz, um, uh, when you're looking at things today, when you are looking, when you're surveying things today, and we're talking about Christians, particularly here in the West, are we in Egypt? Are we in the Exodus? Are we in Babylon? Where are we? We're in America. But no, the oh, central nice. peak of America now is division, polarization. Mm. And the question is why? You know, some blame the president, some blame the social media some say it's the coastals, California, Oregon, and so on, against the heartlanders. Some say it's the nationalists over against the globalists, and all of those add their factors. But I would argue the deepest division is between those who understand America and freedom from the perspective of the American Revolution, 1776, which, of course, was largely but not consistently biblical. And on the other hand, those who understand America and freedom from the perspective of ideas that have come down from the French Revolution. Because if you're looking at political correctness, postmodernism, tribal politics, the sexual revolution, all that sort of stuff, it comes from ideas that flow from the French Revolution, not the American. So come and think of Paul writing to the Galatians. He says, who's bewitched you? You're following another gospel, not grace works. And in a way, what I'm saying to America is, who's bewitched you? 
you're beginning to follow another revolution, not 1776, but the heirs of 1789. That's the progressive left. So you, you take something like, say, Black Lives Matter. The slogan is undeniable. The organization behind it is very dangerous. And many Christians are incredibly naive in not understanding where these ideas come from. So I think that's where we are today. Far more important than Republican, Democrat, whatever, there are very deep ideas that come from two entirely different revolutions. So um, when we talk about the roots of the present crisis, you know, we, I think we often are distracted by things that are less than fundamental, the things that are you know, presenting <clears throat> presenting issues versus those real underlying bedrock concerns. Um, when you look at the French Revolution and you draw parallels to uh, present-day uh, issues in the United States of America, is there one thing that we could look at and study first as sort of the the place to start as students of of understanding what you're talking about? Well, let me be clear. The French Revolution only lasted 10 years in France, Mm -hmm. and Napoleon came and said, it's over, and you had a dictatorship. But the ideas have flown out like red-hot lava. Now, take the current one, Carmen, which is justice and injustice. In other words, the differences between the revolutions, they have different sources. One, the Bible. The other, the French Enlightenment. One has a very realistic view of human nature, therefore separation of powers, checks and balances, and so on. The other, utopian. You could go on down the line. But currently, this year, 2020, the big difference is justice. Now, we both agree with justice, but the left only sees it in terms of power. And so, as they say, you analyze discourse, and then you look for power pyramids, Who's the majority? Who's the minority? Who's the superior? Who's the victim? And so on. And then you exploit the victim to try and overthrow the status quo, cancel culture and all that. That's so different from the biblical way. In the book of Acts, the gospel is seen as peacemaking because you have a view of sin, but of repentance and confession and forgiveness and reconciliation so that enemies become become friends, and so on. In other words, I've, I've said those single words. Each of those is rich, and the way of the prophets and the way of Jesus is so much more profound and dramatically different from the way the progressive left is tackling injustice today. But as I said, too many Christians have drunk the Kool-Aid, and as soon as they hear the word justice, they salute. And they don't say, whose view of justice and how do we address it? I'm, <clears throat> I am learning to ask, Oz, I mean, l- almost, n- almost anything that someone says, I'm learning to ask, um, what do you mean by the use of that term or that word? Or um, Because in almost every declaration today, there, there is a word or a concept or an idea that has a multiplicity of meanings depending on the person using it and how they're applying it. I also find that a lot of people are just parroting points made by others. And so when you ask them to define or dig into what they are actually saying, they cannot do it. And then you get to reframe the conversation. You get to define the term. You get to help them understand 
uh, the differences, but Christians have to be equipped uh, to engage in those ways, to to pause, to be non-defensive, to listen well, to ask people to define the terms they're using, to then help people to define terms when they don't actually know the meaning of the words they're using. Um, this gets into the uh, apologetics side of what you are seeking to train people to do in what you're writing. Oh, Carmen, you put it extremely well and eloquently. I know. I want to be like an advertisement for Oz Guinness. I think that just be, I'd be good so at that. Doing well, and an, ab- an advertisement for apologetics, which is another word for persuasion. And if ever we need it, it's today. You know, I was reading Joshua this morning, you know, in my personal worship. And he says, if you want to follow the Lord, follow the Lord. If you don't, and then he pushes them out. So they have to choose. And Elijah does the same later. You know, if Baal is God, follow Baal. And you can see how in the Bible, you have a very tough view of persuasion. And often it comes from pushing people towards the logical consequence of what they say they believe. And they don't realize it until they go all the way out and see it. So you put it magnificently. But if ever there was a time we need apologetics, it's today. Advocacy, persuasion, call it what you like. We need to know how to speak to people with all the crazy ideas. I mean, the postmodern world is so topsy-turvy. Up is down, black is white, good is bad, bad is good. You know, we've got to be skilled apologists. You put it wonderfully well. If you want to become a skilled apologist, um, I might commend to you Fool's Talk, uh, another book by Oz Guinness written, I don't know, maybe five years ago, something like that. If you want to understand um, freedom and the challenges that we face in terms of of freedom and a free people, um, I, I really continue to make reference to and call back uh, uh, references from A Free People's Suicide, another book by uh, by Oz. Um, Oz, are you working on a book now, and is it is it this conversation uh, about the American Revolution and the French Revolution and where our ideas come from? Yeah, exactly. I've got a book coming out next April with Intervarsity called Magna Carta for Humanity. And All right, I'm, I'm, ri- I'm writing that, that down. Magna Carta for Humanity. And I'm arguing that we need to understand the Exodus Revolution. That is the biblical roots. Through the Reformation, through the invention of printing, the 17th century was called the biblical century, and people were fascinated with what they called the Hebrew Republic. And notions like the consent of the governed or the separation of powers and things like that all came from the Bible. And I don't mean that in any corny way or simplistic way. And so everyone who cares about freedom, justice, peace, community, stability, and can we see a way forward for humanity? Well, we need to explore the depth of the riches of the biblical position and then know how to argue for it today. So as I say, it's, it's, it's the once in future key to freedom. You unlock understanding of where America came from at its best, but also a way forward for humanity. Oz, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Thank you for the thinking you do. Thank you for sharing your thinking with us. That's Oz Guinness. Today, we have been talking about uh, the dust of death. Um, but there are so many books that you uh, might might call upon uh, from Oz. Oz, thank you so much, as always. Really appreciate it. My privilege, Carmen. Thank you. 
We'll talk again soon. All right, friends, we've got to take one more brief break, and then we'll wrap up today's program. Wow, what a day. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. If you missed any portion of this program or you're thinking to yourself, I wish I had the opportunity to share in that conversation um, and, and share it with someone else who would be influenced and impacted. Uh, go ahead and download the podcast later today at MyFaithRadio.com. We encourage you to share this programming with someone else. Uh, in that way, you become a missionary of the ministry. So you can be a radio missionary today by extending what we're doing to more and more people. You can share the podcast with them. I do understand that the app is not working. For those of you trying to listen on the app today, we're always streaming at MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.